from God's word uh, through Greg. Would you stand with me for the reading of scripture? We're gonna be reading from Romans chapter five, verse eight, chapter six, verse one, and chapter seven, verse 18. A fitting conclusion to our series through Romans as we have this, these three staple verses in Romans. It says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Well, I've been around enough times, including preaching with you last year, that hopefully some of you are getting to know me. I I think I've personally met at least well over 50 folks who are regulars in the life of the church, several leaders, and uh, but especially Logan. You know, I've been involved with you long before um, you realize it, of course, and uh, was a part of a team of our family of churches when Logan was making the step from being the youth pastor. Uh, to being the senior pastor, and then he's graciously included me, and to see today evidence of things that he's been working on and that we've had a privilege to talk about and hear it in the language that you're experiencing is such a joy for me to be with you. So I'm also thankful um, that he invited me to, to speak on such an incredible day in the life of your church and to augment, compliment your journey through the book of Romans but also today. If people ask me, I have about five messages that I really, really love, and this is one of them. And this one fits so perfectly for where you're at today because this is a message that hits at the core of what it means to be human, to struggle in this world. So whether you are exploring what it means to believe in Jesus, you know, you don't consider yourself a follower of the Lord, or you're a brand new Christian, or you've been around the church and you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or you're anywhere on that spectrum, this message has something for you because the book of Romans is timeless. It understands human nature because it's written by the one who created it. And so I loved when I came in on Tuesday, I had a chance to spend time with your staff and then later in the evening with your elders and get a chance to personally lay eyes on where you are in describing Uh, just that rallying statement, Jesus changes everything. That's what we call the gospel of good news. Jesus changes everything. And then I saw the shirt that several of you are wearing. So, of course, I had to get my merch, right? And I loved it when I saw it, and I was like, man, that's perfect for Sunday. I didn't even tell, I didn't ask for permission. I just wore the shirt, and then I asked him if it was okay this morning, and he said, that's cool, you're going to fit in right, you know, right around here with everybody. I said, awesome, right? If you see people around, if you've got the chain shirt on, stand up for a minute. Model that thing. Show the front uh, of your shirt to the people in the back so they can see it, just like, you know. I want you to notice, on the back it says, Jesus changes everything. Yeah, you can sit down. Now, some of you are anxious to sit down. Some of you were like, I'll stay up here modeling all day if you give me a chance, right? Um, 
But if you notice on the front, it says Jesus changes, or on the back it says Jesus changes everything, which is so appropriate. Because there's a lot of people following you. They may not realize it. You may not realize it. But they're watching you. They're paying attention to your behavior. They're paying attention to who you are. And of course, if you've been a Christian, you know this. You struggle. Anyone else? You struggle. And they're struggling too. And they're wondering, what can I do about this struggle? And one of the misperceptions of the Christian life is that when I come to Jesus, I'm changed, and that means I won't struggle anymore. How many of you know that isn't true? Amen? (laughs) I wanted it to be true, but then I understood the gospel wasn't about taking me and, and just making me perfect. The gospel was about making Christ perfect in me. And that's a continual and ongoing surrender that we're going to talk about this morning. So think about this word. I'm changed, but I still struggle. What am I changed by if I believe in Christ? My friends, my eternal destiny is changed. So for those of you who don't understand this deal about what Christians believe, let me start here. I was headed in the wrong direction because I was busy being in charge of me, and I got to the point where I realized me in charge of me doesn't work. Does anyone else want to say amen to that? When I was in charge of me, I was a mess. And what's still true today is anytime I take back being in charge of me, I recreate the mess. Now, here's the thing. The world has all kinds of strategies. And when I say the world, I'm just talking about the world we live in. This is not an us versus them conversation. This is just a world. And we as believers live within it, right alongside those who don't believe or those who believe other things. And everyone's trying to figure out the struggle. Pop culture is trying to figure out the struggle. Philosophy is trying to figure out the struggle. Other religions are trying to tell you how to deal with the struggle. So what do we as Christians really believe? That's what we're talking about today. And I'm changed, but I still struggle. And let me tell you something truth about the Bible. If I fall into a ditch that I know better than God, I'm going to stay stuck. Anyone say amen if you know what I'm talking about. And this is one of the problems of the human condition. When we rebelled at the beginning of time and we inherited that rebellion in our hearts that you heard about, talked about, when these people were professing their faith, we continue to think we know better than everybody else around us Kids know better than parents. Workers know better than their bosses. Amen. You know, husbands know better than their wives. Well, we know that ain't true. And it goes on and on. But the truth is, I don't know better than God. And when I fall into that ditch, I fall into a ditch that the prophet Jeremiah described a long time ago. And it says in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, these words. Take a look, if if you would, at the screen. In fact, read it with me, if you would. The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure, who can understand it? How many of you know your heart deceives you? And yet you live in a world, especially among the pop culture philosophers, that tell you your heart, your truth, say my truth. My truth is the truest thing in creation. 
I'm here to tell you it's not. And anyone who's honest realizes their heart misleads them. So if I'm busy deciding for myself based on my heart, I'm going to go the wrong direction. Because my heart is rebellious against God. We talk about this as Christians that when we receive Christ, Jesus takes up his lordship. He, he takes over the throne of our lives. But we can displace him and put ourselves back on that throne at the same time. It doesn't change my eternal destiny. I still know where I'm going. But I can struggle more mightily than is necessary every time I take it back. And that is the struggle. You see, my struggle with sin brought me to Christ. Anyone else? I looked at my life, and, and when I was in college, I looked at my life and saw that I was headed on the same direction my father was on. He was successful by the world standards, but his life was a train wreck. And I, start, I started to see that I was repeating some of the same behaviors, starting to value the same things, and I looked at that and I said, I don't want that. And I started looking around. And so my struggle with sin brought me to Christ. Let me tell you this. My struggle with sin continues to bring me to Christ. Because I'm not going to be free of it. One of my favorite teachers, Tim Keller, wrote these words. And I just kind of uh, rewrote them just in the language I like. He said, the gospel is good news. This Jesus changes everything idea is good news. Amen? It tells me that although I'm a sinner, although I'm broken and I struggle. See, when I use the word sinner, it means that I do things that God's not cool with. And I continue to do that. That's really what sin is. And just to rest assured, look at, look at the person next to you and just tell them they're a sinner. Go ahead. You could tell them. A... <laughs> now, tell them now tell them I'm a sinner too. Hey, I like that. You got louder on that one. Good job. Yeah, we struggle. And one of the problems of religion is that we try to pretend we don't struggle. This is one of the reasons why people reject church. Because church, church can be filled with people who try to pretend they don't struggle. What I love about being around you is y'all have shed that. Thanks be to God. Did you hear my Texas come out a little bit? I've been there 20 months, so we'll see what happens next year. Maybe I'll have a Texas twang in my voice. So this, this idea that Keller says is the gospel's good news. It tells me that I'm a sinner who falls short of God's standards and therefore deserves judgment. But I'm also loved so much that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to take my punishment and rise from the grave to give me power to live a new life through the Holy Spirit. I'm changed because now the Spirit is in me. And the Spirit starts to do work. And if you're like me, you want microwave spirituality. Anyone else? I want to press the button and 30 seconds later hear the ding and see the change. But that's not how it works. So listen to what my mind needs to be renewed by. If you've been going through the series, you heard Romans 12. And what, what Paul is talking about on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is, listen, the gospel is antithetical to the world around us when the world is in conflict with what God teaches, and we need to have our minds renewed. 
Anyone else need their minds renewed? So what we're going to talk about is the gospel regarding self-acceptance. And I'm going to try and deviate and compare and contrast the way the world teaches that versus the way the Bible teaches that. So Christianity, my friends, C.S. Lewis said, if false, is of no importance. And I want you unbelievers to hear this quote. Because that's what most people think. Christianity, even if it's true, it's not that big of a deal. But listen to what an atheist who converted to Christ says. He said, but if, if, if it's true, it's of, read those two words with me, infinite importance. Because if the gospel is true, it changes everything. And I need to step into it so that I'm one of the things that changes. And I love that idea. Here's the thing about eternal security. I'm changed. Even my struggle cannot separate me from God. Amen? And that's one of the things you learn in the, in the gospel according to the book of Romans. It teaches this simple truth that Christians have been trying to communicate all through the ages. Listen, when I came to Christ, I'm what we call justified. It is settled. You heard in some of the liturgy we did... Jesus is coming back, my friends. Even if some people say, where is this coming? He's coming. And no matter how chaotic things look and how out of control they look, because by the way, the Bible tells us it's going to get like that. Does anyone know that? He's still in control and he's coming back and he's going to set things right. And so believing in Jesus is this. I am not what I used to be. Thanks be to God. Amen. But here's also the truth. I'm not what I used to be. But I'm not yet what I will be when I'm glorified. You see, this world is the problem, and Jesus is coming to bring judgment to it. And he will put, through his judgment, an end to sin. So I'm on my way to that glorious place. But in the midst of it, I struggle in this world. And the Bible tells us the wheat, which is what I am, the fruit, grows up right alongside the weeds. And sometimes, especially when wheat and fruit and weeds grow up in their infancy and in their small stage, you can't tell one from the other. But that's the truth. So being on my way means, another word, sanctification. How many of you know the word sanctification? Let me put a definition up for those of you who don't, because this is important. Sanctification, you're not going to like this, is about, say that word with me, patience in suffering and struggle. Oh, yay. You see, we are trophies of grace. And that grace is not just conversion to a different way of thinking and being saved, but that grace is also a grace in patience and suffering where we can say, when someone finally comes up and sees the change in us, you've changed. Why is that? Because of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. So sanctification is not that microwave theology. It's the struggle I'm in. And I need to have patience in what? I need to have patience in God working because God is working to displace me from the throne. And that's why my mind needs to be renewed and I need to see his mercy new every morning and I need to put him back on the throne of grace. It's why I'm trying to learn how to do my quiet time in the morning so I can put Jesus right back in his rightful place in the morning because God knows what I did to him, not only in the evening, but while I was sleeping. Does anyone ever else have uh, disturbing dreams that sometimes wake you up and feel rattled? 
we got to put Jesus back on the throne, man. we got to be reminded anxiety is not our destiny, amen? Yeah. Worry is not my problem. When I put Jesus back on the throne, my mind starts to get right. And he continues to chip away. So there's three approaches that I want to talk about from what we just read in the scripture to walking a godly road amidst any struggle. Remember, how many of you struggle? All of us, right? And even if you're not willing to admit it out loud to another human being, I want you to think about your struggles right now. And I want you to hold them close. They can be attitudinal struggles. They can be struggles of self-image. They can be struggles with habitual sin, with chemical addiction. It could be anything. Whatever your struggle is. And don't worry. Our struggles are common to all human beings. So you may feel like you're alone in it, but you're not. You're surrounded by a bunch of people who struggle and are trying to live out the gospel in their life too. So you see the, the little um, base slide for this message is a country road. This particular picture is uh, a country road that runs into an area where a levee has been placed. And on one side, the purpose of that levee was to create a, create a lake. And I want you to imagine that our goal is to walk the road of life with God, okay? Without falling off into the, to the ditch on the left, which is the lake, and no, that's not baptism, or falling off into the right and getting stuck in the trees. We want to find that pathway forward, that, that green is go type, get through this and get to the other side. So let's compare and contrast what the world teaches us versus what the Bible teaches us. So, the first thing I want to tell you is that if I'm walking a godly road amidst any struggle, one of the things I have to be careful of is the danger of that I can fall into the self-condemnation ditch and condemn myself and or my behavior. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands on this, but it is the natural human condition to condemn ourselves. And by the way, I was with a group of guys last night. We were having a great conversation. And most of you can relate to this, uh, especially if you have kids, especially if you have more than one kid. The kid that you're hardest on, typically, the guys all agreed on this last night for the most part. You know, they, guys still want to argue. How many of you know that's true? <laughs> but we were having a good conversation on this, and they were saying, you know, the, the child that we tend to pick on the most is what? Most like us. Did you know that that's a form of self-condemnation? You can't even help it. There's this subconscious thing taking place, even if it's conscious, where you're trying to correct in your child the fault you see in yourself because you don't want them to struggle the way that you struggle. Amen? Who wants the best for their kids? Everybody. Unfortunately, most often, uh, when you use shame and condemnation as a weapon, how many of you know it doesn't typically produce good results? And, and that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 7, 18. Listen carefully. I'm going to read it again. He says, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me. I know that. It's, not, it's my sinful nature that's at war with God. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Does anyone else ever feel like that? I, mean, I can tell you, and I'm not going to go through the list of things I've struggled with, but so many times when I was battling with something and still battling with things, 
I would act out either through poor thinking or just actually physical behavior. And then I'd go, oh man, feel bad about myself and I would make a vow. And everybody knows the vow. I'm never going to do that again. But how many of you know you're likely to do it again unless you start following the gospel? Amen? You can't save yourself. You, that's how we first come to Christ. We can't save ourselves. By the way, you can't sanctify yourself. How many of you know that too? You have to practice the gospel. So back to this idea. If, if I'm in a self-condemnation mode, I'm condemning my behavior. Listen, uh, the religious ditch is if I feel bad about myself, uh, God will be pleased with me. The other side of that religious ditch is we self-condemnation becomes counterproductive to spirituality for one simple reason. Because we equate our behavior and its outcomes with whether or not God is happy with us. And Paul tells you that this problem of the human spirit being at war with God has been around since the beginning of time. I struggle, you struggle, we all struggle. Right? So he says in Romans 7, 18, this idea that really self-condemnation is, is a loser. And so what that is, is if you look back at the country road, that's like taking the arrow to the condemnation ditch. That's not a pathway forward. God does not want you to sit down and be self-loathing. Amen? So here's, here's what happens, though. Okay, God doesn't want me to be self-loathing. So therefore, I need to find a way of just being happy in my sin. The world calls that you finding out how you think about yourself and then getting everybody around you to celebrate it. So I can think about myself in any number of ways. And probably a lot of you can catch on to this. The idea of my ego, my unsurrendered ego, dictating who I am outside of Christ is going to lead me into a different problem. And so here's the other ditch that people fall into. The second ditch, or the second way they work it out, is that they can fall into the self-approval ditch and approve of myself and of my behavior. And our culture's taken this so far, not only like, hey, it's okay, you think of yourself that way, but now we will help everyone else heal by approving of their behavior. That's a lie, my friends. And when we fall into that ditch, we're not helping anybody. We're not helping anybody heal by telling them that when they're doing something that's displeasing to God, that God's going to be happy with them. That's why we as a teaching ministry here at Cornerstone have to tell you the truth about God's point of view on these things. Now, this might feel helpless at this point because you're going to sit there and go, if I don't find a way to feel good about myself... And, and the world's gotten really good at this. People are going to destroy themselves or they're going to be haters and people will hurt themselves if they perceive anybody doesn't approve of them. And the struggle we can see going on in real time right outside the doors. But what does Paul say in Romans chapter 6? He says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on saying, sinning so that grace may increase? In other words, should we say sin's not sin and have at it? No, of course not. That's not what he's saying. By no means. Christ died for sin. So my friends, as Christians, we can't look at our struggles that we know are clearly wrong. And by the way, you don't have to be a Christian to call something sin. As it says in Romans chapter 2, even the unbelievers know that what they do is wrong because they can't even live up to their own standards. 
So lowering your standards doesn't fix the problem either. That's just a different ditch on that country road. That's instead of going to the condemnation side, now you're going to the self-approval side. And there's no amount of baptizing self-approval that's going to help you walk the road with God. It doesn't work. So what are we left with? Well, I want to say a couple of the next things very carefully. Listen to Jeremiah 6, verses 14 and 15. He says, they dress the wound of my people. This is the problem of calling our own behavior okay, or especially even worse, calling someone else's own behavior okay, their behavior okay. Which, he says, they dress the wounds of my people as though they were not serious, and then they say, peace, peace. You're okay just the way, way you are. Your truth is defining you, and you're going to be okay. But they say that when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No. They have no shame at all because now they think it's okay. That's what Jeremiah is saying there. Listen to another translation that I like. Simply breaks it down this way. My friends, by approving of yourself in sin or approving of someone else in sin, you can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. There is no salvation out of Jesus Christ. There is no sanctification outside of the work of the Holy Spirit and coming into agreement with the Lordship of Jesus. This is the super hard part for me because people like to tell themselves lies, false narratives, and a false narrative can't heal. So what's the answer? Well, I'm gonna finish this message with two of the greatest verses in the Bible found in the book of Romans. Romans chapter eight, verse one, read it with me if you would. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is now no, there is now no condemnation. Dear Lord, that's important. We're not talking about the condemnation of other people now. We're talking about divine condemnation, which my heart told me it's one of the reasons why I had a fear of God, and I thank God for it, that there was a God and I was going to stand before him. And to hear this good news that Jesus changes everything and he changes me and my eternal destiny. And now when I stand before the Lord, when he returns, no matter what my condition is, there's no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. So here's the third and here's the godly path. The third way I can think about my struggles. I can walk the road of self-acceptance knowing that I'm loved despite my troubles. Now, really, I've struggled through the years as I've given this message. It really should say, and I might go there, but I've called this gospel self-acceptance because really what a lot of people are trying to achieve around you, outside of Christ, but even inside of Christ, they're trying to achieve some level of accepting myself where I'm at. So how do we as Christians think about it? We think about it this way, Romans 5.8, another one of the greatest verses in Bible. In fact, we heard it already once today, not just in the Bible reading, but earlier in the morning. But read the first two words with me. But God. I am screwed up. I continue to be screwed up. But God. I continue to struggle. I continue to battle. I mean, I brought some addictions into my Christianity, and I continue to battle with them. And I struggled all the way. All the stuff I'm talking about this morning is true and how I learned to be okay and yet not be okay with it. But God changed me. 
Past tense. So it's no longer me, it's Jesus in me. By the power of the Holy Spirit. So but God, he demonstrates his own love for this. When I see this cross, and I also see that the cross is empty, amen? Because he was buried, and he rose again. And now I'm changed. So when I look back at that road, gospel self-acceptance according to the teaching of Jesus. I am saved because of Jesus. I close with this. There's a story told in the Bible. If you've never read it, I would encourage you to read it after this service because it's in the life of Jesus and him demonstrating everything I just talked to you about in a simple story, which always seems to go better for most people. And it's a story told in Romans chapter, I'm sorry, in John chapter eight. There's a woman who gets caught in adultery and dragged before Jesus. And let's just pause in case you've never read that story before. Just think about the implications of that. Uh, how many of you know it takes two to tango? They didn't drag the man there. They dragged the woman. And just like the way our society often behaves, it picks certain people to condemn. They might let other people off the hook. But they pick some people to contemn because everybody needs a scapegoat. Did you know that? And we could see it in the story of real life because this happens today right outside. How many of you know some people get demonized and some people don't? And how many of you know there's a bunch of people who don't know Jesus who are telling you who to demonize? And that's not who we should be listening to. Should be paying attention to Jesus. And so this woman gets thrown down and really what they're trying to do is, and this is so so much the cancel culture right now, which I could do five sermons on right now if I wanted to. How many of you know you need to learn more about cancel culture and how wicked it is? Because Jesus ain't about cancel culture. How many of you know that? So they're trying to cancel Jesus by trying to trip him up. And they throw this poor woman down because they don't care about the victim. They only care about their own self-righteousness and trying to destroy anybody who doesn't agree with them. How many of you know then they wanted to destroy Jesus and they still want to try and silence Jesus? How many of you know that's true? So they throw, thank you, man. They throw this poor woman down and they say, what are you going to do about it, Jesus? What are you going to do? And man, Jesus is a rock star. He gets down in the dirt and he just... Starts drawing something. We wish we knew what it was. This is one of those fly in the moments, uh, fly on the wall moments. I wish I could have been there. And he let that pregnant pause fill that space. And then he gets up and he looks at them all. All right. I'll condemn her. But you go first. Whoever has no sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. By the way, there was one person standing there who had no sin. Don't forget that part of the story. And one by one, it says, we're told in verse 9, chapter 8, one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they, walk, they drop their rocks and walk away. Because how many of you know sometimes when we're younger, we have a lot of vim and vigor that's not governed by Jesus? But even the older ones fall into that ditch too if we're not careful. So one by one, they walk away. And then Jesus, he's just there, just him and this woman. The only one who has the right to condemn. Don't forget that. 
And he looks at her and he says, woman, who's going to condemn you? And she says, no one, sir. Now, this is where the world likes the story. They like it up until this point. Because they want a world that doesn't condemn. But don't forget the last part. Jesus says, say it with me, go and sin no more. He says, I'm not going to condemn you. But I'm also not going to approve of you. I want you to walk with me and be changed. And that's the gospel. So I close with this, my friends. What does it look like to practice gospel self-acceptance? Call sin, sin. Don't beat around the bush. Call it what it is. Rebellion against God. And whether it's your conscience convicting you or the Holy Spirit convicting you, doesn't matter. Because if you can't live up to your own standards, that gives you a clue that you're not living up to God's standards. Call sin, sin. Set up accountability that includes people who practice grace and will pray for you and encourage you. And, and can I add this? And not approve of your sinful behavior. But they will love you in the midst of it. When you stumble, confess to your accountability people. How many of you know you don't have to go on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and confess all your sins to the world? It's actually kind of ridiculous, to be honest with you. Because until Jesus has sanctified you, in a lot of ways, you're just airing dirty laundry for no reason. This is a cool one for me, an important one for me in my sanctification process. Learn to ask for help before you stumble. Jesus, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, always provides a way out. He's faithful. A lot of times that way out is texting or phoning a friend. Or as the kids do, DMing him. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Anyway. And the last thing, and I want you to read this with me. Put it on the screen if you would. Start again. Read that with me. Start again. You know, there are some things we can learn from the world. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And Jesus will love you and walk with you. He's not here to condemn you, nor is he here to approve of you. He accepts you because he died for you. He's died for not only all the things you've already done, not only all the things you will do, but all the things you're struggling with right now, did you know they're already paid for? And I'm changed in my eternal destiny and my mind to be sanctified in Christ, amen? Let's pray together. Lord God, I know we all need to hear this truth over and over again. We need to have our minds renewed. And Father, we know that for those who are celebrating faith milestones today, both the ones being uh, celebrating the, their, their choices and also all of us celebrating their choices too. This doesn't mean that somehow we're never gonna struggle again. But I pray for all those who celebrate one way or another today that they would remember we are changed. That is fixed and it is done and it can never be taken away from us. 
And the beautiful thing is that you will continue to change everything because Jesus changes everything. That is the good news that we need to hear all of the time. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Can we say thanks to our brother Greg? That, uh, I kind of have to mop up. That was, that was great. Jesus changes everything, amen? We now have an opportunity to uh, respond. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to see some baptisms, the, the greatest part of the, the family service.